Okay, let's get started today. Uh, we're in Psalm 104. The psalmist put words together in an eloquent fashion, making his points about God's creation, providence, and glory. Now, the psalm consists of a series of 19, excuse me, nine stanzas, with a little left over at the end for a couple of sentences. Some call them paragraphs. Others who love poetry might call them sticks. But since I, since I don't understand all that I know about that, I'll call them paragraphs. And the first paragraph includes the first four verses. The next paragraph begins at verse 5 and goes through verse 9. So they're not all equal in length, but each paragraph covers a different aspect of God's sovereignty and promise and providence. Um, for God is a great God. The psalmist is sure of that, and so am I. Let's read the first four verses. Hopefully, we'll have similar thoughts. But God is a great and mighty God. Let's read Psalm 104, verses 1 through 4. Blessed be the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art great. Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Thou coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers, a flaming fire. The psalmist gives ample reason to praise God. But how did he praise God? Why did he praise God? Well, listen to the words from the first part of verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Then the psalmist continued as he addressed himself. He told his soul to praise God. We praise him with our lips and our tongues. We praise him that way, though it may not be the best way. As we praise him, we glorify him. And that's what God wants. The reason is that praise from our inmost beings comes from our souls. There is love in that kind of praise. And love is more than reciting words. Love recites those words in spirit and in truth. True worship is done in spirit and in truth. It's the thing that God wants from us. But why do we bow before him? Well, let's look at our passage again. We praise him and we bless his name because he is the holy creator. Let's read verses 2 through 4 again and think about what God wears today. Psalm 104, beginning with verse 2, God who covereth thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flaming fire. 
The God of whom we speak is the creator who provides for creation, including his creatures. Perhaps you've heard the, this next part before. Well, it's time to hear it again. Listen carefully. Long ago and far away, there was a vast void. It was sort of a no place place. It belonged to God. It was black and deep, and nothing was there when all of a sudden there was a bang. It sounded like this. Let there be. And that being said, it was. It was a big, bold bang. Unique, because it had never been in vast nothing before, but there it was. Bang was loud as as thunder went forth from went forth making something from nothing. Old John Milton calls God the thunderer. Well, the thunderer thundered, but no man heard. Here's the sound of God's thunder. Let there be light. And light was as thunder echoed across the heavens as light landed in chaos. It was a beautiful thing. Blinding light it was. Had there been anyone there to see, but other than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, no one was there. Nevertheless, three agreed as one. And God called light good. And the good light of God was first in creation, then day followed day with creation new each day. Light was first, then the heavens on day two. All were good. The waters and the land, the grass and the herbs, all were good. The sun and the moon and the stars came because God spoke. He thundered again, and creatures in the water, on land, and in air moved, just as God told them. Then, then on day six, what a day that was. On day six, God grabbed a heaping pile of clay, and he pushed up here, and he gouged out there, and with a mighty blow, put life in one end. Then man moved and stood. And with love and innocency, he looked God in the eye and said, Thanks. I needed that. And they fellowshiped together in God's spanking new creation. It was good. The psalmist tells us so way over in Psalm 139, verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Listen up. Lost souls and saved souls down deep inside exist to praise God for God's goodness. Today, can you say that your soul knows that what God did for you was Marvelous? When God made you, you were a distinctly good, wondrous, fine creation. It was good, and there was joy all around when all of a sudden, 
God waved his hand and caused man to sleep, while God took a rib from the man to make a mate for him. And that's Genesis 2, 21 and 22. Now hear this. That was good. That was good. Isn't God good? Listen to the word in Genesis 1, 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Then on the seventh day, God got up to marvel at his work and said, This is good. Now listen up. Here's a principle of which we need to think. Here it is. Listen carefully. If God has that kind of power, then he has the power to be who he is. That's not true of you and me. We depend upon him for our existence. So God has power to be who he is. And God has chosen to be good, infinitely good. God's unlimited goodness is limited to him. Any goodness we might have is derived from him. But derived goodness doesn't deplete divine goodness. In other words, it doesn't deplete infinite goodness, not in the least. Now, man, though he had other potential, was created good. But what did he do? What did man do? Well, man fulfilled his other potential. That's what he did. Man fell into sin, but God remains good. For example, God preserved his creature. God didn't have to, but he did. And today we live in God's creation under his mercy. And by God's mercy, we are allowed to breathe God's air. It was, his, it was for his glory that God created creatures like us and allowed us to fall from innocence into sin and still preserve us. This is God's goodness to man. Listen closely. Jesus Christ came to earth as a little baby, born of a virgin. He came, to, he came to save his people from their sin. And here's the record, Matthew 1, 21 to 23. Matthew 1, verse 21. And she, that is Mary, shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So far, so far now, we've considered part of creation. It's a wondrous thing. But the amazing thing is that Christians know the creator of the universe. We know him personally. And I am so glad, but how can a being so great, so majestic, and so holy concern himself with lowly, sinful men and women? As far as I know, God doesn't need us. We need him. That's just the point. 
Now here it is. It gave God pleasure to create us, and it gives God glory to save us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. His love was put upon us long ago. And since God doesn't change, God's love is still on us. Further, God knows that we need him, and in his love he meets our need. So, he saves us according to his plan, and know this, God's holiness is infinite, his power is infinite, his compassion, mercy, and love are infinite, and it's for us, all of it. He doesn't condescend to our level. That is, he isn't haughty as he reaches down to save us. No, not in the least, because it's love that brings the mercy of salvation. His love spans a mighty gulf. Let me explain. From his exalted holiness, he reaches across the gap between holiness to unholiness, and then he sits us with his holy princes in glory. And what are we that we should receive such exaltation? Who are we to receive such glory and attention from this high and holy one. Here are some verses to ponder. First is Job 7.17. Job chapter 7, verse 17. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him? Then Psalm 8.4. What is man that thou shouldest Thou art mindful of him, the son of man, that thou visitest him. Then Psalm 144, verse 3. Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Then way over in the New Testament, Hebrews 2, verse 6. But one in a certain place testified, saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? These three words, what is man, occur in those verses. Who or what is man to deserve such divine transformational love? God has set us with the holy princes of his people, and here it is, undeserving as we are, we are objects of his love. Could we exercise that kind of love? Perhaps this world would be a better place, but no. No love is like his love. For his love is a forever love, even though we sin. And in, sin, in the sin we do, and in the sin we will do, his love remains on us. That's not license to sin, as some people, people say it is. Note Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Let me repeat that. How can we that are dead to sin 
live any longer therein? A good question, that, and here's why. As Christians, if we live in sin, we make our profession ludicrous. You say you're saved, but your life says otherwise. And if that's true, what are we to do? Call you Christian and let it go at that? I don't think so. God won't allow that, neither should we. There are consequences for continued Christian sin. We won't go into that right now, but we will pretty soon. But for now, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come unto you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We come because there's no one like you. We come because there's no help apart from you. We praise you and love you and need you. Help us walk in the light as thou art in the light. We love you, Lord. Bless this service, we pray in Jesus' name and for, for his sake. Amen.